Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us online at Bush Lake, West Tonka, the chapel. Glad we can be together. If you're a guest, just super thrilled that you're with us today. Um, I had kind of a fun thing happen when I when I kind of got going this morning. I have a routine every Sunday morning. I'm up at very early. I go through my message. I have time to pray. I've been praying for you and expecting God to meet us in a special way. And then I go get ready for the day to arrive here. So we had last evening our three granddaughters with us on a sleepover for the first time that we had all three at once. Now we raised four children. We've just forgotten. So it was really fun. So they're all sleeping. When I went down to get ready and everything, but I come up to, to get prepped and get dressed and all that to come, and I walk into my bedroom, and there's Carrie laying at the foot of the bed the wrong direction, and the three grandchildren all in bed <laughs> taking the prime spots. And I go, this is what life is right here. It's full of goodness is what it is. And today I get to speak about something that I'm excited to speak to you about. It's really important for your life really important. It's on the kingdom of God. And the reality is most of us don't think about kingdom language very much because it's kind of foreign language for us in the United States. But there are places in the world that are still called kingdoms. And this last week was, you know, a a memorable week for the United Kingdom as they celebrated the life of Queen Elizabeth and had her funeral. Um, I don't know if you took that in at all, but wow, She's not our queen, but the way the United States responded, you'd think she was. The amount of energy and time that we gave to her was amazing. I watched the whole proceedings, the service and the complimentary things around there on the funeral day. And I was really taken by, number one, impressed by her declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. That went to over a billion people around the world. That was a good thing. And I was um, shocked, quite honestly, by the fact that the royals were able to walk behind the coffin in the open in this time and place. I mean, massive crowds, you know, tens of thousands of people. And quite honestly, I prayed, God, let nothing bad happen because I felt like it could because the world is in such bad shape. Wouldn't you agree? It didn't happen. I'm grateful that it didn't happen. But I think that's a big question many people have concerning Jesus Christ. I'm going to put it on to the screen. If Jesus is who he said he is, the Messiah, then why is the world in such bad shape? It's a question that people have. I mean, wars. Why do nations still wage war, killing and raping innocent people, including children? Right now, there are 27 worldwide war conflicts. We only hear about a few of them. Ukraine and Russia are the main headlines, and we find in those headlines the truth of what's happened in just the last number of months. Over 15,000 innocent children, women, and men have have been killed. Innocent. And if Jesus is who he said that he is, the Messiah, then Why is there such poverty? Why do so many people still die of hunger when we produce more food than is needed to to feed the whole global population right now? And yet over a billion people struggle with food scarcity in this world. And if Jesus is who he said he is, then why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much pain? Why do so many people die from sickness and illnesses like that of cancer? And if Jesus is who he said he is, why is there such unrest? Why do we have this growing, rising 
mass shooting that's taking place in America. This, is, this just shocks you. Since January of this year, 2022, there have been over 470 mass killings in the United States alone. That's shocking. If Jesus, let's bring it home a little bit more personal, if he is who he said he is, the Messiah, then why do we struggle so much on living holy lives, of finding happiness in relationship? Why do we struggle with this? And why don't more people believe? Well, have these questions ever come to your mind? <laughs> they have to mind, they have to people that you know. In fact, it is these very kinds of questions that cause people, many people, to reject Jesus straight up. And so we have the opportunity to start a new series today called Parables to Be in Love Like Jesus. And we're gonna look at the parable of the sower in a few moments. And I think the reality of our journey is um, when we go into this parable, you'll find that it is about the kingdom of God. And it's so important for us to understand the kingdom of God. It's about how we hear God's voice concerning the kingdom which is foreign language to us, but I'm gonna make it a little bit more common for you today. It is how we hear God's voice, which is so crucial to um, our decision to believe and receive Christ into our lives, our understanding of the state of the world in which we live, and any motivation we have to be into love like Jesus. And so we're gonna look at that parable this morning. And I wanna set it up by talking about how the parable will make sense when we take a little time and energy and we talk about the message of the kingdom, we'll talk about the mystery of the kingdom, we're gonna talk about the movement of the kingdom and then four responses that we find in the parable of the sower in just a few moments. So first, let's talk about what is the message of the kingdom. It's a good question, I wanna phrase it up this way. What is the gospel that is the good news that Jesus himself came to preach? How would you answer that question? I think I know how most people would answer it. That the gospel, the good news, is that I'm a sinner saved by grace through Jesus Christ who covers my sin and promises me heaven to come. That's how we think of the gospel. But can I tell you, as true as that is, that's a very narrow understanding. You will not find the gospels speak about it the way we've created that language. In fact, you'll find that it is so much greater and its impact so much more wonderful than you could ever think or imagine when you embrace the message of Jesus concerning the gospel and the good news and what he declared it is. And the gospel is really clear about it. And so it's interesting to me that it's been lost and today I pray many of you find clarity in it. Jesus, a phenomenal leader, um, does what any good leader does. He starts by declaring the vision and the message with such clarity you can't miss it. I'm gonna walk through, first of all, I'm gonna take you to the school of Jesus. Are you in the mood to go to school today? Just say yes, because I'm taking you there either way. All right, we're gonna go to the school of Jesus and you're going to see with clarity, and I've highlighted to make it as easy for you to see what the good news in the gospel is, so when I turn to you, you get to say out loud the highlighted part only, please. <laughs> this is it, this is the message that he declared. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. Have a change of mind about how you view God because he is about to do something so spectacular. It's never been done before. He's gonna reveal the secrets of heaven 
in the message of the kingdom of God. And he doesn't just declare a very clear message, so simply stated, but in one single sentence, he communicates um, a team that comes around him. Every good leader has a team. We find it in Luke's gospel. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. So now he's got a team, and they're following, they're observing, they're taking in all of this, but it's not enough for a team just to follow. A team needs to be engaged and to be part of what is taking place. And of course, Jesus puts that in motion. We find in Luke's gospel, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. It's just extraordinary. They get to be engaged in the kingdom of God on earth, and it doesn't stop there. Jesus dies, setback, big disappointment, shock. How could he be dead? But he doesn't stay dead. He rises from the dead, and he appears again to the team and to his friends, and he reiterates in one single message the gospel that he came to proclaim. We find it here. After his suffering, that is his crucifixion, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Can we just pause there? Because you would think, after a person's been crucified, dead and buried, that you wouldn't need a lot of convincing proofs if he shows up again. But he shows up, and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And you'd think that would be enough. I'm just giving you samples. This goes throughout all of the Gospels. We find that after that moment, he ascends into heaven and he breathes the church into existence. And the church will be his force, mediated by the Spirit, the very presence of Jesus, to go throughout the world with his love so that all people would know. And Paul goes through a conversion experience himself that is so profound from killing Christ followers to becoming an engaged member of the team. And this is what it says. He proclaimed, that is Paul, the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so if you were to say in one single sentence, what is the gospel, the good news that Jesus himself came to preach, what would it be nice and loud? The kingdom of God. Wow. Did you know that? Did you know that the gospel is not simply about your personal salvation, your private discipleship, and the promise of heaven to come? That God was doing something that was for the here and the now that is so extraordinary, and we are part of that incredible engagement and team that the Lord has put in place. In fact, um, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning that heaven has come to earth in Jesus Christ. So we live the ways of heaven now. And you go, I've never been to heaven. But the way of Jesus is in you through the Holy Spirit, allowing you to live in the ways of heaven even now. This is an amazing thing for us to consider, and you can't ask the question, well, what does it look like when heaven is on earth? So let me throw that up for you. The will of God is being done when heaven is on earth, everywhere making everything new. The will of God is being done everywhere making everything new. That's what happens. It means that it looks like no more war. 
No more poverty, no more suffering, no more of this um, unrest and continual shooting, no more unholy living, no more um, unhappiness in relationships, no more resistance to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, the very Messiah. This was the challenge that people received in that time because we know that God's will isn't being done on earth. We know that um, things are not made new in the way that we expect it to be done when he comes again. And so we have this tension as they did even the first century. Many of the first century believers, like today, um, resisted Jesus as being the Messiah because they had a picture in the mind that when the kingdom comes, they had been told by the prophets that the new kingdom would come, and they expected that the existing kingdoms would be destroyed and that they would be replaced with one God, with one will, and the will of God would be operative for the whole universe. And therefore, many people have resisted the presence of Jesus as Messiah. And so the parable speaks to this mystery. We've talked about the message of um, the kingdom of God, but you have to embrace the mystery, and this is what I pray brings you some clarity. I, I brought an image, I sketched it out, and my team actually made it a pretty image for you. It was nothing but pencil before. Take a moment, and I wanna walk through two stages of the mystery of the kingdom of God. Just look at the words. Let me explain. The mystery of the kingdom of God is that there are some people who don't know that it's here. And so if I take you into the grid, you'll see that the fall takes place. Sin enters the world. So the will of Satan and sin is part of our life journey. We're told that a new kingdom will come being ushered in by the Messiah, which we believe to be Jesus, and he arrives and he ushers the kingdom of heaven into earth now. And he brings the will of God with him. So it creates this reality. The mystery of the kingdom is that the kingdom of heaven has already arrived, but the tension is we're living in the space when the will of Satan and sin is happening at the same time that the will of God. And so we live in this tension place. And we find in the second stage, there is a reality that comes with Jesus' return. Jesus returns, and we're told that evil will be removed completely, that it will be purged, sin and darkness will be gone, and that there is a new reality where the will of God will be um, ongoing from that day forward. So in the meantime, we live with this parallel track, which creates confusion for people, where some just don't know that it's come. But we're told when he comes again, when he returns, everybody will know. That every tongue will confess um, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And everybody will have that acknowledgement and confession from their tongue. So in the meantime, we live with the parallel reality of both wills being done and it creates tension for us in our world. But a day is coming when the, the universe will, will, be, will be led by one will. It is the will of God. It will be a monorail, not a light rail, because light rails in Minneapolis are in trouble right now. I don't know if anybody knows it. This is a monorail. The monorail of God's will will be captured for us. In the meantime, we deal with this tension of wars, of suffering, of poverty, of um, just unrest that's around us all the time. We battle with holy living 
We battle even as Christ followers with um, the happiness that God intends for us in relationship because we're living in this in-between place of his presence coming but not yet fully realized. That's the mystery of the kingdom. And that's why even though Jesus broke into the world, we still live with the tension of sin and darkness around us. Well, the parable of the sower is about the kingdom of God. And we're told some will reject it in this in-between place, and some will receive it. And we who receive it then are called KG people. Kingdom guys, kingdom gals, who get to serve the will of God with the kingdom of God on earth now. So if you've had the mindset, hey, I've got Christ in my life, I'm living for the Lord, and I've got heaven to come. You might even be so sick of life in this tension place, you go, Lord, you could come today. Have you ever said that? This would be a go. Have you ever been really, really sick and go, Lord, this would be the day come? But he's saying, no, I'm here now. We are KG people now. We are about the will of God now. So see yourself not simply as a Christian or a Christ follower, but a KG person. Kingdom of God guy, kingdom of God gal. At home, at work, in your neighborhoods, wherever you find yourself. There's the journey. So we jump into this call around the parables in this series. I'm excited about the parables um, because Jesus started his ministry into a cultural convulsion like we've been experiencing the last three years. So there was division within the people of God. There were protests that were taking place. There was unrest left and right. That's when he began his ministry. And you know what he said? He teaches us in the midst of the cultural convulsion to be and to love like himself. That is, he taught him the parables. And the parables teach us how to be and love like Jesus. Can I just remind everybody, there's an election coming up real soon. Our country is a little bit on edge around the midterm elections because of what happened at the last elections. And we have a call to be in love like Jesus in the midst of more cultural convulsion. And that's why we're doing the parables. Isn't that good? That we're gonna go deep into being and loving like Jesus in the midst and the flow of that call that's there. So I thought, why not take in the series of the parables because Jesus gives us this invitation again and again in the gospels to be like children. By that, he means... As he says, let the little children come to me because they come. So let's be like kids, welcoming the voice of Jesus so we can be and love like him. So I thought to help us with that, um, I would invite a child. So we have a child who's gonna read the parable uh, for the selected Sunday because through the voice of a child, we'll be warm to the voice of Jesus so we could be and love like Jesus. So I've invited Ainsley to come on up, Ainsley, this is Ainsley, could you give a warm welcome to, to Ainsley Sang? Thanks Ainsley, I appreciate you being here, this is where you're gonna get to be, and uh, tell everybody how old you are. I'm nine years old. Pretty good. Um, how would you feel coming up right now? And we're proud of you for coming up and being a KG girl and sharing God's word. Where do you go to school? Academia Spanish Immersion. So she goes to a Spanish immersion school. So are you going to read the parable in Spanish or English? English. It's a very good choice. Stand and let's receive the word of God. Matthew 13, the parable of the sower as read by Ainsley. Thanks, Ainsley. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things things in parables saying a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seeds some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil 
sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever his ears, let them hear. Thanks, Hazel. You may be seated. So you've heard the message of the kingdom. You've heard the mystery of the kingdom, that some are in it and reject it, and some are in it and warmly receive it. And when we receive it, we become kingdom guys, kingdom gals. And I just briefly want to speak about the movement of the kingdom. If there is one will taking place, God's will, that's one picture, and that is still to come. But we have other wills that are taking place. So how does God's kingdom move? How does it advance? What's the impact of it? Well, we just heard in the simplicity of Jesus' story here, the picture that for it to happen, we must sow generously. That it begins by us knowing that we are sowers. And aren't you glad that Jesus is the first sower? And he, he spreads the seed, as we see in, the, in the, the, the parable, far and wide. So it goes and it lands on all kinds of different soil conditions, the hard soil, the shallow soil, the crowded, weedy soil, but as well, the soil that is good soil that receives the seed. But he, he spreads it everywhere, and we are called to do the same because we became KG people, so therefore we become sowers. We are called to sow the seed generously, and I love that the kingdom of God is this extravagant, abundant, over-the-top generosity, and it's impacted us as a church. So our mission is to be sowers of the seed here, near, and far. We're not just concerned for ourselves. We're not just concerned about our own personal salvation or your own children. We know we are to spread it far wider than that, and so we've embraced that as our missional thrust. You are a sower. Embrace that identity as a KG guy and gal in this tension, this in-between place, sow seed. But then also, we must sow patiently. And patience is hard for us because we expect when we sow the seed that people would just respond. When they hear the love of Jesus Christ, they would respond. But we know in that tension place, some reject, some resist altogether, and some will say yes. But we get easily sidelined when we get the nose or we don't see the fruit of somebody saying yes. So we step back because we become concerned about rejection or not sure what to say when there's a continual no. But the encouragement for you is you have a child and you're praying for them to come to saving faith in Jesus. If you have a mom or a friend that's in that place, I have several myself, then the call is to pray and to love and to sow seeds. And don't stop, keep doing it. Do it with gentleness, but do it with a sincere invitation. Come, be part of the kingdom of God. I did that with my dad. Many of you know the story of my father. My father was not a God guy. He didn't grow up in the church or nurtured in the things of faith. He thought I'd gone off the deep end of a big cliff when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. He thought like, what happened to you? Because my life changed and it was transformed. And over the years, I entered into ministry at 23 years of age. In my first ministry setting, I was there for 15 years. I invited my dad hundreds of times to come because I wanna tell you, a son wants to know that his dad sees what he's doing. 
and to get a blessing because of that. But my dad didn't have interest. He didn't have understanding in his own life and his journey. So he never came once to the church that I served in my first 15 years. When we started Westwood, we started the Chan Hessen Dinner Theater, and he came to the Christmas Eve service, I think because it wasn't a church building. There is a stained glass barrier, by the way, for some people, and I get that. But it was a dinner theater, and you got to sit around tables. And my father was in the restaurant bar business. That's what he did. So there was a comfort, and he came. Came. And I'll never forget when he walked in those doors for the first time. I mean, my heart just softened greatly, and I shared my story of faith. It wasn't part of my script, but I knew this was my moment. And he was with us every Christmas Eve, and then the year before he died, at that Christmas Eve service, he was moved to belief. And it happened through prayer and love, prayer and love, prayer and love. It happens through patience. So we continue to be a people who demonstrate patience with those that we're sowing seed among. And I encourage you to do that. And what is the response to the kingdom? I want to conclude with this question. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing because the reality is the four soils that are reflected in this parable. Um, I, and the times that I've heard this preached on by different pastors, it's always been the four soils represents four kinds of people. But that's not the case. It represents attitudes of your heart and how you receive the voice of God that shapes how you understand the world we live in, the kingdom of God, your belief in Jesus Christ, and your motivation to want to be and to live for Jesus. So you could be here and have all of these soil conditions, even if you've come to faith in Christ. So he interprets, Jesus does, the actual parable. So some of the parables we're gonna look at, he doesn't interpret, so I get the benefit today. It's a long parable, but he explains it. I think his voice is adequate. I'll compliment it with just a few things to um, speak about it a little bit more. But let's just look at the four different soil conditions. The sower throws the seed, and it lands, first of all, on the hard heart. So in the, the gospel presentation that we got on the parable, Jesus uses the sower's planting seeds. It lands on a hard path. The birds come to snatch it away, and he interprets it this way. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, oh, what is the message that the gospel is, the good news that Jesus came to preach? Everybody? At all of our sites, the kingdom of God, right? Here it is, about the kingdom. And does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. So if you go into Palestine, you find that the pathways through the fields are often hard because of traffic. It's just made it hard. So the seeds still land on it, but I want to declare it doesn't go in. Because, and Jesus uses this, our hearts become hard like that path. That some of us have hearts that are as hard as a highway and nothing can get in. And that's the picture you have here. And you hear it said by people because some will say, um, this doesn't interest me. I don't really even wanna talk about this. Or they say, you want me to believe that this Jesus is who he said he is, that he does all these things? Where's the evidence in the detection of both of those parallel realities of wills at work at the same time? Why would I believe that Jesus is it? There's a resistance in the heart. And you can be here right now and have a hard heart. You can be hearing the word of God and saying, I'm not interested. It doesn't go any further than just being here gathered, maybe because of expectation you've come. Hard hearts can even be gathered when we're preaching the very word of God. You hear, but it doesn't settle in. And I think the reason that hearts get hard is because we don't want to understand the message of the kingdom of God. 
And can I just say, if you don't want to understand, you won't understand. <laughs> you take that with anything in life. If you just don't want to understand what another person feels or think, you won't understand. Especially in this politically divisive time, if we don't want to understand, we won't. And that includes Jesus himself. And so the first soil is the seed that goes on, but it doesn't go in. And it's like the heart. It hears the word, the heart hears the word, but it doesn't go into the word. The second soil is that of the shallow heart. And there's a description that you find here from Jesus that speaks about the shallow heart as the enthusiastic heart. So where the hard heart, the soil goes on, but it doesn't go in, here the, so the seed goes onto the soil um, and it goes in, but it doesn't stay in. Look how Jesus interprets it. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. There's your enthusiasm. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So if you go to Palestine, you find limestone rock everywhere. Occasionally, there's a thin soil covering over it, and therefore, it does have some root. And sometimes, the seed gets there, and it shoots up quickly, but it doesn't last. When the sun comes up, it withers away, and it speaks to the heart. Sometimes, we get into a place where we hear a faith story, a story of somebody's personal faith journey, or a song, and we have this emotional response, or the teaching of the word go, oh, that's true, and all of a sudden, your heart is warm to it and you welcome it you may even receive it but you find in the shallow heart that there is this tension that comes when hardship comes your way I didn't think life would be so hard when I came to faith in Christ or there's opposition because you've embraced Jesus into your life and what happens is you lose interest you slowly just drift away because you don't have the root base to handle hardship but in the tension of those two parallel wills, one of the evidences that God is alive, that Jesus is in your heart, is when you go through the hardship and you go through the opposition, when you expect it to be easier than it actually is, and it's so hard, you get so discouraged, you just wanna bail, the reality is when you have faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit deepens and nurtures your root base to go deeper rather than to pull away. And so you're not just receiving with enthusiasm the word, you are embracing it in a whole different level. I've heard people say this um, in different kinds of settings. If you would just read the scripture five minutes a day, just spend five minutes a day with God, um, that, that would be good. And I just wanna say, and I don't do this very often, but can I just say, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. You, you cannot be in God's word just five minutes a day and grow deep roots. You can't, I mean, it's like not having a bath for a week and saying, just run through the sprinkler system and all will be well. It just doesn't work that way, you know? We need to bathe ourselves, sometimes a slow bath in the word of God so that the message of God can be heard in the all of our being. We just need to sometimes be saturated in that. So the encouragement is don't get stuck into soft patterns of five-minute devotional life and let that be adequate for the journey because it will leave you with shallow um, faith and shallow roots that will come up and then be burnt by the sun in the journey. I want to encourage you to get involved with a Bible study. If you've never been in one, get in that place where you have more extended time. It really makes a difference. Um, if you stop at all of our sites and even online, there's an opportunity to sign up today for small groups, Bible study groups. We have a group called Rooted, which is perfect for the parable today. It's a curriculum that was written by authors in Africa. Can I just tell you, this curriculum is going all around the world. It seems to have the anointing of God's favor. Take a Rooted class and get Rooted 
and see what God will give to you in it. The third um, soil condition is the crowded heart. And the crowded heart is fascinating because unlike the hard heart and the shallow heart, the crowded heart has the seed fall, go in, and it stays. It stays. But it doesn't bear fruit. Have you ever wondered when you meet people who confess faith in Christ and you go, where's the evidence that they're Christ followers? That's this particular um, heart condition. Jesus interprets it this way. He says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So it's called the crowded heart because it's getting choked out by the weeds and the thorns. And the weeds and the thorns are defined here as the worries of life, that your worries are so great that you have a hard time trusting God or the deceitfulness of wealth. And so if in the worries of life, and we all have our worries, but if your worries become bigger than God, and what happens is sometimes you just stop going to God because you're just swallowed up, you're consumed by the worries. Versus if God is bigger than your worries, you keep bringing them. The worries are there, but you just say, oh God, help me, oh God, help me. Or he gets really personal on this one because I, I gotta be honest, this, when, I, when I read this particular um, soil condition, it arrested me and I think it should rest all of us because if I'm consumed with worry or the deceitfulness of wealth, which is, the distraction of treasures and pleasures, then I need to take a stop and look. Because I know, number one, soil condition, hard heart, that's not me. I know, number two, soil condition, shallow roots, that's not me. I have deep roots that have come through hardship and life and journey. But the third one causes pause. Worries of life, got plenty of them. Wealth, he's speaking to us. We are among the richest people on the face of the earth. You know that, don't you? When you feel like you have so little, we still have so much compared to most of the world. And he's talking about the deceitfulness of, of wealth is the phrase that he uses, the treasures and the pleasures. Now, the Bible doesn't condemn wealth. It just warns us that it can hinder our spiritual growth and keep our roots from growing deep if we're not careful. All that we are and have come from him. We just need to steward it as coming from him, and it makes a profound difference in our life. But wealth is a challenge for us because wealth gives us one primary thing. What is it? Options. Wealth opens the door for options to do this and to do that. And soon we start to do this and to do that and we neglect the root nurturing of our faith that keeps us in love with Jesus. So he's telling us, he's giving us a warning, guard your heart from letting your wealth distract you from what's most important because it has a way to divide our heart. I think about this with the young woman who, um, whose heart is opened up to us when her boyfriend proposes to her and he says, I love you, honey, so much. I think you are the most important thing. More than anyone and everything in the world, I just want to be with you. Will you marry me? To which he continues on, speaking about the reality of his life. I'm sorry, I don't have much more to give to you. I don't have wealth. I don't have mansions. I don't have yachts. I don't have a Rolls Royce like Jimmy Brown has, but I will love you always. To which she replies and says, I love you too. But could you tell me a little bit more about this Johnny Brown? <laughs> could you give me a little bit more picture about the mansion and the yacht? And the, see, we're drawn, our heart is drawn to these given places. And we want to guard our hearts from being drawn to those places and be sure we're anchoring in. Because friends, it's natural for weeds to grow 
out of um, in our life in a way we crowd out God's voice. It's just natural for that to happen. It's natural for us to want to sleep in. It's natural for us to want to just check out and watch television. It's natural for us to want to go through social media threads and not stop, and it becomes almost, without realizing it suddenly, where we just stop paying attention to our own soul place. It becomes natural to keep our financial resources to ourselves, but it's unnatural to have the kingdom of God grow in your life. It takes discipline, intentionality, to be in God's word, to pray, to talk. Um, as a way of life and to grow in that understanding that all you have uh, and are is his so you give generously because he gave generously to you. That's unnatural. It's formed in habit. When roots get deeper, it becomes very, very natural for us. And then finally, the fruitful heart. And this is uh, the good here where the soil has deep roots. So the seed goes on, it goes in, it stays in, but then it comes up. I mean, with a remarkable harvest. Look how Jesus describes it. He says, but the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. Uh, Who wants to be part of a harvest where your investment in the kingdom is shown in your life for 30, 60, 100 times what you were um, walking with without that fruit of the kingdom life in you? We all want that in our journey. We bear fruit, that's the difference. It becomes evidence in our life. The scripture says that you'll be marked by the fruit of the spirit, so that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, these things become part of the evidence. My life has changed and transformed. The desire to share seed with others becomes part of that journey too. And then you'll be able to outgive God as well. And you'll see the harvest multiply, the fruit 30, 60, 100 times. And so I love the fact that we have a multiplication kind of God, don't you? He's multiplying life in us to the end that others see it, which brings me to my favorite quote of all times. I share it at least once a year for 20 years. I've done it. Sheldon Van Nocken, who was a guy with a hard heart, he was an atheist, skeptic, around all things related to Jesus. And then there's a seed sower in his life who just continually lays out seed, keeps planting seed. His name was C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis would keep on praying, keep on loving, keep on casting the seeds, and then Sheldon Van Aken becomes eventually open and available. And his life is changed and transformed. He himself is a prolific writer, and he wrote these words, that the best evidence for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their certainty, completeness, and the best evidence against Christianity is Christians. When they are joyless, somber, self-righteous, and smug, Christianity dies a thousand deaths. We get to be the evidence of joy, so people will want to receive So shout out to those who are baptized today. You demonstrated an availability of God. Expect the fruit of God to be in your lives as you continue to cultivate that beautiful presence of the great gardener. A a beautiful garden doesn't look good without a great gardener who does pruning. We're not perfect. He's pruning us all the time, but it's a good pruner that we have. Amen? It's God and our faith in Jesus that makes that real. If you'd like to be baptized today, even be available, come on down. We'll baptize you at the conclusion of our services at all of our sites. But for now, would you stand and let's pray together. So Father God, thank you for the gift 
of the sower of Jesus who plants seed and is patient with us in and out of season after season, taking us from hard-heartedness, softening it where we can move into some territory and begin to receive the seed, even to welcome it in a way that is good and helpful, but Lord, oh, to see the fruit of the kingdom of God on earth. We're not waiting for the fruit of heaven that is still before us when we leave this earth. We're anticipating and expecting a fruit in the kingdom of heaven in the here and the now. So go with us to the end that you would be exalted, that fruit would be evidenced in our personal lives and through our church, and that many would come to know your beautiful name, our great gardener, Jesus the Christ, amen.